0: Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Sonia. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Managing Eye and Vision Changes Related to Cancer Treatments. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration and your interest in the program today that we have so many of you on the call today. There are over 255 participants on this program, and this is a unique program in the sense that really um, it's one that we get to do about once a year, um, and it isn't a topic that is really addressed in any other venue um, in the cancer side effect issue world, so it doesn't really address a lot. Um, And um, so we have participants from all of the United States, and we also, the 255 from all of the United States, and we also have some international participants from Canada, the Netherlands, New Zealand, South Australia, and United Kingdom. So really from all over the world, and it's a really pleasure to have you on the call. Today's program is supported by the Aline Roos Memorial Trust and the Sarah K. de Croisat Article 10, Perpetual Charitable Trust. I really want to thank them for their support and interest in this topic, um, and really for their support. Um, We have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman, and Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, and author, researcher in oncology. Dr. Fleischman is going to address an overview of eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments including causes and risk factors, sharing information about your cancer and its treatment with your eye care provider, the key role of your eye care provider, the role of the multidisciplinary team, and quality of life concerns. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman.
2: Thank you, Dr. Messner. Hello, everybody, and thank you for participating in this call. It's amazing that just a few years ago, um, we never had anticipated the need for a call about uh, how eyes are affected by uh, cancer and cancer treatment, but I guess uh, we weren't really thinking uh, outside the box in those years uh, because it is really, really important when you just stop a minute and take a look at what happens. Um, about 85-90% of the input from the outside world comes through our eyes, despite having the other four senses. And um, we sometimes um, in the past just used to um, not think about these things because uh, they didn't seem important compared to uh, surviving your cancer and, and getting through the treatments and all that. But as people are surviving longer and longer and more and more, we really need to be aware of, this, um, of these effects on the eyes and vision and uh, be able to incorporate that into comprehensive cancer treatment. So um, when we think about risk factors, the kinds of things I will mention happen to all of us, people without cancer, as well as people who are undergoing treatment. But sometimes the cancer and the cancer treatment complicates either their development or um, what we do about it. So a lot of these things sound like uh, really everyday concerns that we all have without cancer, but they become a little more complicated with. So all of us experienced tearing at some point. Um, Dry eyes are very common in some parts of the country uh, where the humidity may only be 12 or 15% or even less uh, in a day. Dryness is a big problem. But sometimes people have too much tears. Our eyes are too wet. They're constantly tearing, and um, people have to put tissues near their eye and try to dry them up, and that can be affected by either chemotherapy or radiation radiation. to the eyes uh, or or to the surrounding areas, so it's the kind of thing that's a common problem, but is affected by and enhanced by um, the treatments that uh, we receive. We've all, many of us or most of us, have had allergic reactions um, when our eyes are itchy. Um, sometimes uh, the uh, cancer can, the cancer treatment can actually affect our tear ducts. I think uh, Taxol has, uh, is um, known to have tear duct problems. Rheumatase inhibitors some, can, some, or hormonal treatments in general, can sometimes cause dry eyes as they dry out much of the tissues on our body. Um, so uh, these can sometimes be mistaken for allergies or seem like allergies. Um, especially some of the newer um, targeted therapies can affect the tissue underneath the eyelashes, where the eyelashes come out of the eyelid, and that can be particularly uncomfortable and it's something we need to be aware of and screen for and get the proper treatment for. Um, We've all had episodes of blurred vision at some point or another, at least Um, most of us, and that can be for a variety of reasons, either um, things in the environment or uh, a reaction, inflammatory reaction in the eye. Um, And we know that can be related to not only um, many of the chemotherapy drugs, but a lot of the drugs that are used to... Um, along with chemotherapy, like anti nausea medicines or pain medicines, and most of the time these are temporary and go away, but not always. And um, I, I think the recurrent theme here is if any of these things happen, please tell your cancer treatment team, and we'll discuss that more in a few minutes. Um, Some people also will say that their vision's not sharp, and again, the same conditions, either the chemotherapy drugs themselves or especially medicines for uh, nausea and vomiting or uh, some pain medicines. There are a variety of medicines that can cause our vision to be less sharp than usual for a period of time, often self-limited, but again, needs attention when it happens. Um, Many of us, as we get older, about uh, the development of cataracts. Cataracts are um, a, a graying of, of, of our, our natural lens in our eye that happens um, simply with age, but the likelihood of that it may happen sooner, especially with some of the drugs used either as chemotherapy for some leukemia and lymphoma uh, protocols or um, as a, sometimes uh, steroids are used uh, as an anti-nausea medicine, and that can cause cataract development faster. Um, if you're going, to, if you're getting them, that may accelerate the development of cataracts. Again, something to tell your treatment team so they can refer you properly. Many of us have had um, infections either in our, uh, on the surface of our eye or on the eyelids these do require attention. Uh, bringing them to your treatment team is really, really important. So they can either do a first pass with um, some antibiotic drops or um, hopefully send you to an eye care professional, particularly an ophthalmologist who is really well versed in cancer treatment so that they can um, give the pro- do the proper testing and um, and treat you in, in a in a way that fits with all the other treatment that you're getting for your cancer. Uh, loss of la- of eyelashes is something people uh, will also um, point out during chemotherapy uh, or uh, radiation therapy to the eye area. Um, this can be quite disconcerting, um, pr- pretty upsetting. Um, i I have never seen a patient who had lost eyelashes completely so in my my experience over many years eyelashes will grow back but i'm not sure i have a hundred percent of that experience Uh, that can be as a result of chemotherapy allergies uh, a variety of things again connected to the cancer treatment um and um Many of us have at one point seen floaters, looks like an object that sort of floats through our field of vision. This requires ophthalmologic attention. (laughs) Uh, Please, if that happens, if it's not something that just comes and goes once, but if you see it more than once, if it comes and doesn't go away, please tell your cancer treatment team. And sometimes the, the, the width or the height of our field division can change. That's also something that needs to be addressed um, as a result of, um, could be a result of treatment, could be a result of cancer, really important that you tell your team. So if you have any of these situations come up, uh, please tell your oncology nurse, your oncologist, someone on the cancer treatment team, they will uh, be able to refer you to an ophthalmologist in your area or maybe who works at, the can- at your cancer center or at the hospital uh, where your cancer center is located that has um, a good understanding of both oncology and ophthalmology. There are other eye professionals, each have a, a really important role in our eye care opticians often make our uh, glasses. Uh, optometrists can do a good check of our um, how well we see that in many states they can actually check for um, glaucoma high pressure in the eye check for uh, if we have cataracts using um, drops and machines that we've had when we have eye exams but for uh, the bulk of these problems your treatment team will likely send you to an ophthalmologist a physician with Knowledge of both oncology and ophthalmology Uh, So please share this info Don't keep it to yourself Um, The the multidisciplinary care of cancer is becoming ever more important, especially with the uh, newest and latest treatments, which have a variety effect on all systems of the body, and um, having uh, a referral for a consultation someone who really understands the overlap here is critical. Um, it is an understatement to say that vision changes will affect quality of life. It's pretty obvious. Since there's so much information from the outside world is coming in through our eyes, it's really important for our independence. It's really important for our sense of well-being. So please, these are not minor issues. Make sure that your treatment team is aware so that they can refer you properly. Uh, I've given a very brief and rather fast overview of uh, overlap in cancer treatment and eye changes, and I will turn this back to Dr. Messner.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was very comprehensive and um, excellent and really set the stage now for this whole program, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Miguel Matterin. and Dr. Maddern is Professor of Ophthalmology, Professor of Radiation Oncology, Director of Ophthalmic Oncology, Duke University Eye Center. Dr. Matterin is going to address guidelines for eye examinations and checkups, ophthalmology assessment and care before and after treatment recognizes changes in vision, field of vision, floaters, and flashing lights, what to do, discussion of common eye and vision changes, tips to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, cataracts, and eye infections, and how eye products may help you cope with eye and vision changes. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Matteren.
3: Thank you so much um First of all, I would like to echo everything uh, Dr uh, Fleischmann has said it's uh, very important to have um a comprehensive uh multidisciplinary team knowing what uh what the potential problems that can happen. having said that um I would like to present this conversation from the very general situations to uh more particular situations um and why am I saying this? Well, let me let me use uh, this example that I many times we use um, with um, with my patients. Uh, whenever anyone has um, a headache, people don't jump into a CT scan or a MRI of the um, of the head. We start first we're taking some pain medicine, checking the stress, et etc. et cetera. Similar situation is in here. Um, so we do not know the, the, the real numbers for uh, the side effects from the current treatment um, that can affect the eye. However, we, in general, uh, we know what to do once the problems are started. So, um, The relationship with cancer in the eye, uh, it has uh, different approaches. Uh, Number one, um, it's um, systemic cancer that can affect the eye, Um, the treatment for that cancer, um, how can affect the eye, and um, finally, if there is a a primary tumor from the eye um, that can put at risk risk the, the patient's life. So every person, and talking in general now, Every person should have an eye exam um uh, at least uh, every year every other year. A person who was just um, recently diagnosed with cancer um, and um, the number one um, goal is to address that cancer um, to all the patients who are who are listening to this uh, uh this conversation um all the drugs that are being used uh, for um, for cancer treatment, they pass several tests, several phases. And so the labs and the doctors who are prescribing the treatment, uh, they know the potential side effect to the eye. Now, but here's the problem. We, it's important to have a baseline of calmic examination before saying that the person has a problem secondary to the cancer or its treatment. So if we see, for example, a 60, 65, 70-year-old person with cataract, we cannot blame on the cancer or its treatment for a cataract because 80% of people um, older than 60, 65 had some, um, some kind of cataract. So, but the treatment can make that progress faster. Um, So, it's important to have a baseline exam, mainly when we know that potential side effects from the treatment. Now, in many institutions, in many circumstances, um, the um, the oncologist uh, will tell the patient, well, go to and and have an eye exam, and so we know where we're at. This might be my first recommendation, and please look for an ophthalmologist who is aware of the um, cancer in the eye and the potential side effects of those medications that can affect the eye. And why I'm saying this, Well, once again, uh, the problems that the the treatments or the cancers can cause to the eye uh, will be addressed based on uh, different uh, circumstances. Number one, um, the treatment is keeping the patient alive, so that's the number one goal. Yes, in combination In, com- in combination with um, the um, on- oncologist, when there is uh, a risk for blindness or when there is a-, a serious side effect, and we're going to go through that later, um, the um the, the medication can be temporarily stopped by the oncologist, not by the ophthalmologist, until the, uh, a solution is found. The patient recovers the, um, the vision, and then the um, the treatment can be resumed. And that happens most of the time. So, um, um, different uh, different things that that can happen to the eye. Doctor Fleischman described them. Uh, perfectly. Uh, cataract today is not a major problem. Cataract, it's, uh, cataract surgery, it's a, it's a very safe um, uh, surgery that can uh, be solved. So if the medicine is keeping the patient alive and the patient can have a cataract surgery, that will not be a problem. There are different circumstances that, yes, they're m- much more serious. Um, let me give you an example. So with some of the new um, uh, drugs, um, patients can start with very weird symptoms and the patient is referred correctly to the ophthalmologist by the oncologist and the exam is completely normal. So what we tell the patients being aware of the potential side effects of, their, of those medicines is that yes, the eye can be normal today, the exam can be normal today, but there is a decreased vision very fast. So we we recommend all the patients with new treatments to have a very low threshold to go to the ophthalmology, even to the emergency room, to be um, to have an, an eye exam by the ophthalmologist who is in the emergency room most of the time there is someone there, and, and uh, to, to double check if there is any change um, on, on the progression of the symptoms. Uh, floaters. Floaters is something very, very common. Uh, patients do not need to have cancer, do not need to have a, a cancer treatment, um, and, and, and patients can have floaters, actually, probably, 100% of the population in the world will have floaters sometime in life. The difference is when those floaters start, how fast, and how serious they are. Because if someone has a floater for two years, it's not as serious for as having um, potentially serious as having new floaters that started yesterday. So those patients, mainly if the patient has are nearsighted, they need to go and see the ophthalmology as soon as possible. Um, as uh, Dr. Fleischman mentioned, the eyelashes is lost. Um, they can be recovered after chemotherapy, and but it's not the case when uh, patients have um, um, radiation therapy that involved, uh, involves the um, the brain, affecting the eyelashes. Um, so, um, I don't know if I still have time but in, in to to make uh, to make a summary um the number one problem is the cancer the the baseline exam should be performed before any cancer treatment just to assess what the situation is in terms of the eye and then the um when the side effects or the symptoms start that's when the um the problem has to have to be addressed by the ophthalmologist dry eye dry eye is extremely common and if someone will start with dry eye um, most of the time it's not serious uh, any over-the-counter artificial tears uh, will solve the problem however it's is uh, strongly recommended to be evaluated even by a cornea specialist to see if there is any change on the on the um on the lacrimal film or in on the lacrimal duct to see if um, there was any um if it were affected by the treatment um so that's why i started the the conversation by saying We go from general problems first, and then we go into more particular problems later. And most of the time, most of the time, um, it can be addressed unless it's serious, like um, affectation of the optic nerve um, or or, um, um, retinal detachment, uh, those those kind of things. Um, So the side effects from these medicines can be very bothersome but not serious and they can be serious but those are um, the, the vast minority of these patients i'll be happy to answer any questions
1: Oh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Martinez. That was really um, outstanding, and um, just outstanding, Dr. Matter, and just a wonderful presentation, and um, we will have questions for you during the Q&A. Before we take questions, I'm just going to introduce Leanne um, Medina-Martinez, who is um, an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care and who will describe Cancer Care's free psychosocial services programs and the role of support groups. Um, It's my pleasure now to turn this program
4: over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Medina-Martinez. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. As Dr. Messner mentioned, I am an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. As an oncology social worker, I provide support services to individuals and their loved ones who are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. I also stay abreast of changing trends and new knowledge in the field in order to provide the best care possible to those who use our services. We've been talking today about ways to manage your care in relation to eye and vision changes, and I'd like to speak about the importance of creating a support network as part of that care and how cancer care can be a part of your network. Cancer Care is the leading national organization dedicated to providing free professional support services, including counseling, support groups, educational workshops, publications, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. All our services are provided by oncology social workers and world-leading cancer experts. At Cancer Care, our licensed oncology social workers are trained in how a cancer diagnosis can impact an individual and their loved ones and supports. A cancer diagnosis comes with many challenges, including financial demands, physical changes, social adjustments, and psychological impact in care. Our social workers are knowledgeable and can address the full scope of issues that cancer patients and their supports may face. Our short-term cancer-focused individual counseling and support groups are available to those diagnosed with cancer as well as for loved ones or caregivers to address these concerns. They are offered in person in the New York City, New Jersey area and over the telephone and online nationally. Working one-on-one with an oncology social worker in individual counseling can offer a space that's just yours to express your concerns. It also provides a space to help navigate difficult decision-making or communication with loved ones or your medical team, among other challenges that may arise. Your social worker can work with you to address your concerns in a way that is tailored to your individual needs. Joining a support group offers the opportunity to speak with others who may be experiencing similar issues and navigating similar challenges. Additionally, it is also a space to both gather and provide support and obtain valuable information. We offer several support groups face-to-face, over the phone, and online. In addition to our short-term cancer-focused support services, we also provide additional services including educational workshops, reading material, as well as limited financial support. We currently have a program that offers limited financial support for those who have had vision changes due to their diagnosis and or treatment. This program is available to those living in the tri-state area, meaning New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. If you're interested in learning more about our services, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Helpline at 1-800-813-4673 to speak to one of our oncology social workers. There you can discuss what led you to cancer care and explore with one of our social workers the ways in which we can offer support. Our social workers can also provide resources to access clinical trials, financial assistance, and potential supports local to you. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of this program today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Messner.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Medina Martinez. That was excellent. And then we now have time for questions. Um, and I'm going to ask Sonia to explain, to, to bring all our speakers on board and to explain um, um, to our participants how to ask questions.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to move yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Stephanie Kay. Your line is now open.
5: Thank you so much, Carolyn. This is an excellent seminar, which we've been waiting for all year. Thank you. Uh, my question is, first of all, I'd like to know, I had cataract surgery in 2016. My ophthalmologist said it was definitely from the steroids that I was given from taking taxil. I'd like to know also, if this medication, is there any way that it could be less given so we could prevent this uh, cataract, even though I know the cataracts can come on, but I know mine was from the steroids, also, like to know about the fluticasone flonase. Can this nasal spray cause cat? I'm sorry, can cause glaucoma in the future, or an macular degeneration? And also, a third thing, I have a question about dry eyes. Um, was this, also, I have that from. I was told the chemo made it worse, but uh, is it possible? The, I know over counter doesn't always work. They said my ophthalmologist suggested restasis. I know sometimes it's not covered by Medicare Part D. Is there any other? Uh, prescription dry eye drops that can be covered. Besides over the counter, that may work better. Thank you so okay.
1: much. A lot of questions. So I'm have to try to keep track of them all. So, um, um let's see. Um, uh, Doctor uh, Martinez, do you want to start with? My, uh, do you, um, I'm sorry, Doctor Dr., uh, Dr. Matter do you want to start with that? With some of her questions
3: um yeah so yes we 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 all know that uh, steroids in um in any form uh, eye drop uh, spray or um or general uh, can cause mm, different problems including cataract um i i think that um we are not looking to uh prevent uh, in general, any, any cataract formation, um, any patient. So we know that's going to happen. We know the solution is. And I don't think any uh, ophthalmologists or any oncologists will um, um, reduce any cancer medicine um, beca- um, that is necessary because of the uh, risk for cataract formation. Regarding the uh, um, artificial tears over the counter, and uh, you, you just described, the different steps that we take for uh, for the treatment of, of dry eye. And uh, again, this is artificial tears over the counter. Uh, then restasis. Then sometimes they put punctum plugs on the laximal uh, duct, um, trying to improve the formation. Now, um, if this is not, this is still not uh, resolved, then my recommendation would be to see uh, a cornea specialist and see if they have any clinical trial or any other options um, to to help with this. Regarding macular degeneration, well, um, that's, a, that's a huge topic. And and by the way, uh, macular degeneration, most of the time, is treated with injections, and these injections can cause cataract as well. <laughs> so um, and as you can see, there is an overlap on, on things with um, these situations, um, but um, in, this is the, the progression of the different steps that we have to treat those conditions. I don't know if I answer all of them.
1: I think think you do. Excellent. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, And, Stu, did you want to add anything to that?
2: Um, Well, um, I know that the steroids are given routinely with taxanes uh, to prevent Mm -hmm. very bad reactions. Um, I have seen uh, patients who have been given that, the taxanes, without the steroids, and they're really uncomfortable afterwards. So uh, it's uh, one of those real shared decision-making things, but um, it's hard to – Advocate not taking the steroids, despite the possible risk of cataracts. Uh, after seeing a reaction where someone needed to be admitted to the hospital, after it was pretty
3: bad. Um,
2: mm. I'll, I think uh, the rest of the information was covered.
1: Mm, yeah excellent. Well, excellent questions. Well, that's I think we have an online question. So let's see if this is. Um, so this is a question. Um, for Dr. Um, um, What do you think about products, serums that are applied to the eyelash line to help grow short eyelashes that came about with chemotherapy?
3: I have no experience with that. I, I am not mm-hmm. able to answer that particular question. And um, that's uh, one of the circumstances that, you know, an uh, ocloplastic plastic, um, and again, not a regular plastic mm a doctor, but an oculoplastic um specialist will be able to answer that better than me.
1: Excellent. Okay. Sorry so, about that. Um, okay, excellent. Thank you. And um and that is a question I think that people have sometimes so that is really good to know who you should be consulting about that on your team. So so it's an oculoplastic um expert is whom people should consult with and that okay that that's
3: um Yes, when when we when we form the, the ocular oncology team, uh, that includes pediatric ophthalmology, oculoplastics, neuro-ophthalmology, coronary specialists and sometimes even vitro retinal specialists. So in some circumstances uh we we coordinate, we talk to each other, we communicate with each other, uh, to make decisions how to solve these these problems.
1: Excellent. Thank you. That's excellent. So that's the coordination of care. That's excellent. Okay. Um, and we have another question from one of our uh, telephone participants. So,
0: yes. Um, Thanks.
5: Yes.
0: Thank you. And our next question comes from Elaine C. Elaine, is that open? Hello. Can
6: you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, Elaine. Hi. I'm a physical therapist, and I'm interested in balance and in cancer patients. And when I give lectures, I'm ending up mentioning a lot about contrast sensitivity, the changes in that secondary to um, hormonal therapy or ADT even, and dynamic visual acuity. Can either of the doctors offer me any insight regarding how to screen, what to screen? I think it would be through an ophthalmologist, but as a physical therapist, I'm interested in anything that might help me. Inform the patients or
1: treat them for false balance risk. So, I mean, people also, and um, Dr. Matterin, do you want to start with that one? or?
3: Yes, but um, I'm not sure I understood the question right.
1: Yeah, We could ask her, you know, actually, we could have her ask it again. I think I'd had to do with hormonal changes, but um, what, can we bring her back, Sonia, just to kind of clarify the question a bit? Oh, Elaine?
6: Um, the drugs that oh, the breast so, Elaine, cancer patients
1: the question So, Elaine, actually, the question was uh, it's breast cancer patients, but is it you're talking about hormonal imbalance? Is that what you're talking about, or the hormonal
6: therapies way? that are provided? Um, I is see other oh, uh, hormonal
1: therapies. Okay. I, I understand that um, they
6: can affect contrast sensitivity, which is. Uh, uh, but I have no I I have no background in this. How severe it can be, or uh, who to send a patient to. There's two or three questions. Any any insight would be
5: appreciated.
3: So um, okay. I, I think uh, I understand now. So um, I think that each um, expert should handle the situation. I think that the last part of your question was the right one, uh, which is who to refer the patient to. Um, so, again, um, in my experience, these um, um cancer treatments, mainly the last ones, the immunotherapy ones, can give any kind of symptoms, even symptoms that we've never heard of. And, and that's why if the patient has, um, uh, let's say, a, a color change, in a vision color change, then they should see first a general ophthalmologist, but the patient will end up seeing a retina, a medical retina specialist, and maybe a neuro ophthalmologist as well. So, um, you know, when the patient comes to you under those circumstances, I think that um, you know, uh, referring to the ophthalmologist first uh will will start the process of helping the patient.
1: Excellent. Um and uh, Doctor Feisman, do you want to add anything to that or?
2: Yeah, sure. Um since so much of visual changes are subjective Somebody uh, looking at the individual who's describing this generally can't tell. It, sometimes if people's uh, uh, gaze changes, if the eyes deviate from one area to another, it's, it's pretty obvious. But otherwise, so much of this is subjective. So in the real multidisciplinary spirit, making sure that this most efficiently, what I would suggest is for making the, these, this problem, um, make the patient aware that they need to, att- to bring this back to their main oncologist of the moment. If it's a patient that gets only surgery, they should start with the surgical oncologist. If it's a patient who's in the middle of chemotherapy, it should go back to the medical oncologist. If it's a patient who is getting radiation therapy or within the first few weeks of finishing radiation therapy, it should go back to the radiation oncologist. And if somebody's getting combined chemotherapy and radiation therapy, generally those two subspecialists work in a team, but it's usually the medical oncologist that fields these questions and then will make the referral. And as Dr. Matterin said, as in oncology, in ophthalmology, there are many sub subspecialists. And um, my experience is that often the patient will be referred to a general ophthalmologist who's very knowledgeable about the overlap between eyes and cancer treatment, and then be referred to one of the other specialists based upon the problem. So there are a lot of people involved, but coordination is probably best done by the oncologist who's doing the bulk of the cancer treatment at that time or or what the patient just finished from.
1: Okay. Um, Thank you. Um, And um, uh, um, Sonia, um I'll take another question in just a minute. Um, um just one second. Um So, um we have another question here, um and that question um is for um Dr um Fleischman, um, would my optometrist be able to pick up on vision changes related to my cancer treatment, or should I see an ophthalmologist?
2: Oh, great question. Um, uh, optometrists um, often pick up these issues because they do a really good test of your acuity, of how clearly you're seeing, and are often really good at prescribing glasses or contact lenses to correct the visual acuity the, the how well somebody sees but in many states optometrists also uh, will dilate eyes and be able to check for pressure and be able to look in, into the eye and all the other structures through, through the gel in between into the retina in the back um when if they see anything that is of concern or there's a subjective complaint that is of concern with nothing obvious the usually the thing that happens referred to an ophthalmologist with cross experience in uh, cancer and ophthalmology.
1: Okay. Um I agree. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Um and um thank you. Um and um and we have another question. Um just one minute. Um And the next question for Dr. Fleischman is um, um, my doctor mentioned how chemotherapy can suppress my immune system and more susceptible to infection. Is there anything I can do to reduce the risk of getting eye infections?
2: That's also a very good question. Um, Many people are are very knowledgeable about this because as some medications are advertised uh, on television, uh, although not a lot of the side effects are given often a quite of a low a low voice will rattle off a bunch of side effects, and often that is subject to infection um, obviously it's it's back to the general rules of good hygiene during chemotherapy or radiation therapy and and again, this may seem kind of trite, but it is really important um, hand washing um keeping your hands free of is important because our hands, for um, reasons that uh, we don't quite understand, make their way to our faces. Many times in the day we're struggling with this issue, even in, in the media today with the, uh, with the talk about uh, coronavirus, uh, but keeping your hands clean often means that there's less infection uh, spread to your nose and your lips and your mouth and your eyes and your ears. Um, Anything more specific than that would really be up to a good discussion with the oncologist who you who, who is the main oncologist treating you at the moment. A radiation oncologist may actually uh, want to give you some drops, um, whether they are prescription or non-prescription over the counter, to keep your eyes. Uh, with, uh, uh, moist because dry eyes uh, can easily be scratched, and that can breed infection. Otherwise, I think it would be very, very specific. But keeping clean um, and using products on your skin and on your face that uh, do not irritate is probably the, the most logical way to approach that.
1: Excellent. Um, thank you. Um, and um, our next question um uh, our next question from one of our online participants. Um, actually, there's a lot of good questions here. This is really um, a wonderful group, I must say. Um, so, um, so this is an a important question. Would my ophthalmologist be able to help me with my vision problems related to cancer treatment, or should I ask my oncologist my questions? For Dr. Fleischman?
2: Oh, um, I, I think Your ophthalmologist and your uh, oncologist may have to have a little bit of a telephone conversation or have some emails go back and forth or communicate electronically in some way if they're all on the same electronic uh, medical record. Uh, So there can be a bit of crosstalk and everybody um, can uh, give an opinion about what's best to do. Um, Many ophthalmologists are really experienced with all of uh, issues in the overlap of cancer treatment, but many ophthalmologists don't always see cancer patients and know the latest treatment. So a bit of crosstalk is probably the first thing, or it may be referral to an ophthalmologist at one of the specialty academic centers who may have a little more experience with it.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, another question, actually, for Dr. Fleischman. Um, I've had dry, itchy eyes and find it hard to work, especially on a computer. I'm using eye drops which provide relief for half for about half an hour and then my eyes bother me again. What can I do? Um, who should I see to help me with this? For uh, Doctor Fleischman?
2: Dr. Madison to, t- to handle that.
1: Um so I think um if you could just address it in a general way and, and help the person to get back to their sure. treating health care team. Sure. Yes.
2: Again, back to the basics. Tell your cancer treatment team that this is happening. Uh, they may suggest some of the uh, over-the-counter uh, medic- uh, drops that are good lubricants. There are both drops and gels, but, again, uh, they need to be applied in a way that's clean, um, not touching the tip to your eye, making sure to put them in the proper way, um, and uh, if the, if those don't do the trick, then uh, a referral to the uh, ophthalmologist would be the best thing.
1: Excellent. And you can could you say a bit more about the difference between an ophthalmologist and an um, optometrist? I think a lot of people don't quite understand sure. the difference, and um, yeah.
2: very confusing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Um, Ophthalmologists uh, have gone to medical school. They are trained in all the basics that we all are before uh, we branch off and specialize. Um, They are um, much more familiar with um, how to treat the problems that develop in the eyes. Um, Optometrists can actually uh, are are very well trained. There are are licensed, there are rigorous tests, um, but for the most part, up until very recently, had been limited to checking a a vision to see how accurate it is, our visual acuity, um, and prescribing glasses and contact lenses, um, and and vision correction like low vision or lazy ex- exercises for what, what we call lazy eyes when the eyes don't track the same in, in, in all directions and doing uh, strengthening exercises. There's a, a a wealth of information and expertise that's needed uh, in the uh, the fitting of glasses, contact lenses, and low vision training and Um, and vision training in general. It's only recently in many states that optometrists were able to actually um, check the intraocular pressure in our eyes and instill the drops to do that or dilate our eyes and be able to look well into the back of the eyes to look through the jelly-like substance in the middle and to the retina of the screen in the back. Um, The because this is somewhat of a new thing, uh, that not all optometrists are as comfortable in some of the newer techniques um, as uh, perhaps newer graduates or in states where this has been, uh, they've been granted these privileges for a long time. So when it's getting glasses, contact lenses, low vision training, things like that, I'm um, I, 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 sometimes think that the optoma- optometrists are much more sophisticated than our ophthalmologists are. Well, ophthalmologists are good to diagnose problems of the eye, to suggest treatments. They do surgeries, um, and um, they have a more training in the crossover medical knowledge between general medical needs, aging, and cancer treatment, and the problems that arise from cancer treatment and the cancer itself. Um, and, and as Dr. Madden said before, then there are subspecialists that deal with different parts of the eye, the cornea over the top um, or the retina in the back or a, a variety, or neuro-ophthalmology, the nerves that, that control the eyeball and the eyelids and all that goes into it. It's a complicated system. Um, so the optometrist and the ophthalmologist really specialize in somewhat different things, but there is cross-referral from one to the other when the different skills are needed.
1: Excellent. And another question, actually, for Dr. Fleischman, um, and if you're interested in a general way, I've had chemotherapy three years ago, and now I have floaters in my eyes, and one of my eyes is cloudy. Um, who should I consult about this in terms of um, care?
2: Okay, Um uh i would uh bring this to your um either primary care doctor or your ophthalmo- or your oncologist your oncologist's uh attention when you go back for your follow up um, and then be referred to an ophthalmologist uh in the community or at your cancer center um and um please ask the ophthalmologist and the oncologist to communicate in some way, either by quick phone call or some electronic means via health, you know, confidential electronic medical record. So there's a little back and forth between what treatment you had, how long ago it was, what's to be expected, um, and, and the kinds of things that both would need to be able to know to give a good opinion.
1: Thank you. And a question for Ms. Medina Martinez about the cost of some of these things. Could you just comment on just people getting any type of financial assistance with the cost of any type of issues with their eyes?
4: Right. So with the financial assistance that Cancer Care provides, we will be able to provide assistance for things like, Eyeglasses, which oftentimes are needed, and with the changing vision, sometimes we need to get glasses a lot sooner. Um, Sometimes, you know, you get glasses once a year, but it might be every couple of months, especially if you're still in active treatment, receiving chemotherapy or any other kind of radiation as well. So uh, we provide assistance with that as well as with treatment expenses, uh, copayments, transportation, because it is an added Visit sometimes to see the ophthalmologist um, to get you know information to even pay for the treatment. Um, sometimes insurance does not cover, depending on the insurance coverage. Insurance might not cover seeing an ophthalmologist or might not cover the full uh, co-payments for the drops that might be prescribed or even like topical creams that you might receive. So Cancer Care um, provides some assistance with that. Again, it is available for people that are located in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut. But if you are located outside, again, contact our Cancer Care helpline and any of the social workers will be able to provide resources uh, local to you that will possibly be able to provide similar assistance.
2: I'd like to add one thing to that. I've been through this so many times, uh, many, many times over my career that um patients are concerned um even before these calls, they knew that if there was a change in their vision, they had to report it to their treatment team. Um and sometimes patients will then uh, have a prescription changed and they will spend hundreds of dollars on glasses only to find that that prescription change is probably temporary because some of the medications, like for nausea or for pain, will cause some changes in the visual acuity and how well we see. And after the treatments are over and the medicines are out of their system and they're starting to heal, the new glasses no longer work. <laughs> so, um if if, new, if someone brings up even a new prescription for your glasses or your contact lenses uh, a good question to ask is is this expected to be a permanent change or can we temporize in some way um, until I'm finishing my treatment and the medicines are out of my system and then see what to do then uh, because um, as you heard um, not all uh, insurance companies will pay for glasses or if so it's sometimes quite limited Um, And then some of these out-of-pocket expenses can be very high.
1: That's very gosh. That's a very important tip. That's very good to know. And and the Lions Club do they help? They just help with frames, not with the actual prescriptions. Is that correct? Do they? Do you know? So we
4: do. We do provide assistance with prescription medication. So it could be the Mm -hmm. frame, or it can be the prescription for the glasses, depending on the need. There is an assessment mm-hmm. that's done beforehand, but we do provide assistance for prescription medication. Um, and even prosthetics, um, if it, becomes, it comes to the need of needing a prosthetic device, we also provide assistance mm-hmm. for
1: that. Oh, that's incredible. That's amazing. And, and I actually should let everyone know, because it comes up in our other calls, too, that, you know, um, and I think uh, piggybacking on what both um uh, Dr. Fleischman and, and um, Miss um, Medina Martinez have said that you know really you know talk to your healthcare team because they actually within the institution you're going to they could have something that you know they they may have some program that would help you you know because you're all in different parts of the country and the United and the world to some extent and there are sometimes um, hospitals that just happen to have somebody who's given a, uh, some funds to help that or might have something. You might be in a regional, a local area where there's a very active Lions Club that does specific things to help with these things. So definitely um, don't ever feel that you can't mention finances two-year physician. A lot of people think they shouldn't. And Stu, could you talk about the financial toxicity issue that people are always, you know, they, 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 that is really very much, most oncologists are very much aware of it, and but often people coming to see them are reluctant to mention anything about cost to them because they're afraid it will affect their treatment. And could you say something about that?
2: Sure, this is such an important issue uh, now and over the last few years as some of these newer treatments have come through with such high costs. Um, Perhaps very good value and um, saving a life or making the cancer quiet or a good response, but still a very high cost. So there's a term that's been used over the last few years called financial toxicity. It's not just a toxicity like getting an infection or bleeding problems or nausea or headaches, but financial toxicity, that the costs can be prohibitive for many people. Um, so it, it, the what to do about that really depends upon in what setting you're being treated. Um, if you're being treated in one of the larger specialty centers, one of the uh, centers accredited by the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer or the National Cancer Institute, there are um, people around who can help with this. Your doctor and your nurse may not have all of this on the top of their heads, but they know that who to get you to to be able to sift through all the details and see if there's any help from some of the out-of-pocket costs. Um, if you're being treated in um, a, a solo practitioner's office, then um, almost all of the time uh, and they they have privileges at and um, share patients with one of the accredited cancer centers um, in the area. Um, and the people who work at that cancer center will be happy to help out if not, if you're not sure where to turn. Um, cancer care and my many years experience is very helpful because they are familiar with the issues and can uh sometimes do a little digging and find out um what's available in your area or nationally like with some of the um the uh, 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 the the these social groups like Kiwanis or lions or rotary i don't want to leave anybody out, but uh there may be things available in in nationally for certain uh, for certain situations where um a group of people did fundraisers to get money together because they knew somebody who had uh huge expenses after cancer treatment and they want to help out so this concept of financial toxicity is is a big issue but your your physician, the oncologist, or your oncology nurse will likely know who you can speak with and find out they may about what you can do. They may not have the immediate fix on the top over their head. Um sometimes again in a smaller office there's an office manager who handles a lot of the, this information and that would be the person to ask to find out where to go next.
1: Excellent. And uh, Miss Medina, um,
4: uh, Martinez, do you want to add anything to that? I just want to add on that it's all about communication and just asking. Um, just ask anyone that you speak to, whether it be a social worker if you have one at the cancer center, or you know if you're speaking to your doctor, speak to the oncologist. It's okay to just ask. The worst that can happen is that they say no. But then you can also just ask a follow-up question and ask them if they know anyone. In which case, you know, you guys can reach out to other people locally, or just reach out again to cancer care for assistance. Uh, but of course, there is no harm in asking, and definitely it would be beneficial to just ask as opposed to delaying treatment. Wow! Excellent.
1: Wow! This has been this is I have to say this has been a phenomenal call. I ha- have to say. All our speakers have been superb um, on this on this program, and actually our participants have asked really such great questions and really enhanced the call, of course. So we thank all of you, and all of you who've been listening as well. Now, um, we could go on a bit longer um, because there are many more questions in queue, but we're going to – I said this was an hour program, so that we're going to um, soon conclude. And I do want to um, remind all of you that, of course, any question you asked or any any information you learned today, we invite you to take this back to your Healthcare team, and discuss with them how it applies to you and what the best thing for you is. And of course, we're really talking about the healthcare team, including your oncologist, or your surgeon, or your, radi- your radiation oncologist, or your, um, and also then include your ophthalmologist. Um, And um, those are really important people in this instance to really – that they work together. And if they recommend an optometrist, then that as well. But really all of them working together uh, is really important um, for your best solution to your concerns. Um, Also, I should tell you that this program today is – will be on telephone replay and also will be available as a podcast on our website – And it will probably go up, usually I'd say give it about a day or a day and a half, and it's up, um, and you'll be able to listen to it, it's 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the the next year. So actually, um, you can listen to it. And um, so you may want to share it with other people. Um, Some people have shared it with their healthcare team to listen to, um, because there isn't a lot out there on this particular topic. Um, So it's really important. Um, But we also know that many of you like to go to credible sites for getting additional information. Um, And we do want you to go to credible sites. So on uh, on the on the website and also on the brochure that many of you may have received, there are a number of collaborating organizations listed, and those are wonderful resources to ask your questions of. They're actually, um, they have information for you. Um, I should say the National Cancer Institute has both a an 800 number, which you'll be getting um, that information from us. You'll get an evaluation, but the evaluation also includes all the resources that you can contact. They have an 800 number. They also have a website, www.cancercare.org. Um, I'm sorry. www.cancer.org. And their website is wonderful because it actually um, they have a live chat feature, and you can actually pose your question and get it answered. So it's really nice for people all over the country and internationally as well. Um, also, um, there. Again, there are many resources out there for you to actually, um, in addition to your healthcare team, so that when you go to your healthcare team, you can maybe feel more knowledgeable in asking your question or more supported that your question really is a valid and important one to ask, which it is. You can be sure of that. Any question you have is important, um, that's really very important. Um, and so we do have a number of programs coming up. You'll be getting information about them. And most importantly, as we conclude today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with uh, with cancer, with, um, with cancer that um, has numerous side effects. Today's program really focused on managing eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments, but many other issues as well. Um, And so um, we don't want you to feel alone. We want you to know that you're now part of a community of support, and we're all here to help you, both cancer care and all the different organizations that are listed um, in your materials um, that um, can be of help to you. So I want to thank you for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.